Hello there. It's time for another episode of the Humble Perspectives podcast. It's a chilly, crisp day here in central Kentucky. If you hear some children's voices, uh, a couple of my grandchildren and a friend of theirs are playing out in the yard. It's great in this season especially to be near our grandchildren. So that's a happy type of sound if you happen to hear it. In this episode, I will read and comment on the Advent readings according to the Revised Common Lectionary for the third week of Advent. Those of you who light Advent candles will know that this Sunday is distinguished by the pink candle, which designates rejoicing or joy. We rejoice first because in Christ we have a glorious future. We have a blessed hope. We also rejoice because our celebration of Jesus' birth at the Christmas feast is coming up quickly, this year really quickly, since the fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve fall on the same day. Although I've not specifically focused my meditations or my thoughts on joy as I've considered the readings and prepared comments, I do see plenty of things to be joyful about in them, and I hope that joy will pervade the presentation. So pray with me that the joy of the Lord will sound through me, and I pray that His joy will fill your heart and mind, and may the joy of the Lord overflow in all of our praises. By the way, before I begin, it would be an encouragement and a blessing to me if you would rate or leave a comment on this podcast channel. It just helps to know that someone is listening and it could help me to get some feedback. And now, a reading from the prophets. Isaiah 61. The official reading is Isaiah 61, 1-4 and 8-11, to but I'm going to read all 11 verses. And I'm reading this time from the New American Standard Bible, 2020 edition. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. It's interesting here that instead of Lord being capitalized, capital G, capital O, capital D, it's Yahweh, it's God that's capitalized, so in Hebrew it would be the Adonai Yahweh. The Lord God, Spirit, is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's good news. And... The prophet goes on, the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they'll be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you will be called the priest of the Lord, priest of Yahweh. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You eat the wealth of nations, and you will boast in their riches. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offering, and I will faithfully give them their reward and make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom Yahweh has blessed. I will rejoice greatly in Yahweh. My soul will be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me, clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a groom puts on a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth produces its sprouts and as a garden causes things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God, the Lord Yahweh, will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. It's important to read this prophetic passage in which Isaiah announces God's restoration of his people and the world in the light of the reality that Jesus explicitly claimed to fulfill it. Early in his public ministry, soon after he overcame the tempter in the wilderness, in the synagogue of his hometown Nazareth, Jesus opened the scroll and read the opening words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That, of course, is from Luke chapter 4. Then, Luke goes on, he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, Jesus declared. Now this radical statement really stirred up wonder and soon led to controversy and to a serious attempt to kill Jesus right there at the very beginning of his kingdom work by the friends and neighbors among whom he grew up. Jesus proclaimed the favorable year of the Lord had begun that day. And he stopped reading right in the middle of the sentence. The last part of the sentence in Isaiah is that in the day of vengeance or retribution of our God. Jesus came to save, to heal and release all the captives oppressed by the great tyrant, the devil, who works through dark powers and the heavens and also through human tyrants, whether it's the tyranny, whether the tyranny is intellectual and ideological, economic, or political. All tyranny is an outwork of sin, darkness, and death. It is in stark opposition to the righteousness, peace, and joy that characterizes God's good government. There will be Isaiah declared a day when God exercises final judgment over all the tyrants. 
he calls it the day of vengeance of our God. Truth is, though, that's also part of the good news because for those that Isaiah identifies as the humble, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoner, those who mourn in the verses that follow, um, on that day they will be vindicated for their belief in God. Their ultimate release from their oppressors will be that, that day and justice will be in their favor. When we read from Isaiah that it'll be a day to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion. I hear in there Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, the humble and meek, for they will inherit the earth. Matthew 3, 3-5. Think about it. Last week we read from 2 Peter 3. What did Peter say a day is like with the Lord? With the Lord, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is a thousand years. If a day is as a thousand years, then how long must a year be with the Lord? Here's some great news. The favorable year of Yahweh extends all the way today, and it will continue until that day of vengeance. This is the favorable year of Yahweh. But from our perspective, we have no way to measure God's perspective. Therefore, Paul declares, now is the day of salvation. It's always now that we need to hear the good news, respond to the good news, and do what has been given us to do by our Lord Jesus. So this is both a promise, the favorable year of the Lord is now this is the day of salvation it's a promise that the way of salvation is open to any who will in the Messiah of Jesus but it's also a warning that at an unknown time the year of the Lord's favor will be over then the day of God's vengeance coming the day when the opportunity for salvation is no longer available the day when the books are opened and accounts are settled once and for all. Isaiah's prophecy goes on to describe many blessings that will be bestowed on those who receive God's salvation. There's so much in those passages that I'm not even going to try to cover all of it. But uh, I would just suggest to you that you should hear things in here that point to the church as the holy priesthood of God to the fact that all of us who are in Christ have a ministry or are ministers, servants of the living God and that's not just Israel, the land that's going to be inherited by the people of God, but it's the whole earth that's going to be filled with his glory and filled with the presence of his people and it is the nations are his inheritance and so, so therefore in Christ the nations are our inheritance. Therefore, we rejoice greatly. We rejoice because he has clothed us with garments of salvation. He's wrapped us with the robe of his righteousness, he says in verse 10. <laughs> that joyous day of vengeance, joyous because 
the judgment, if the judgment is in our favor. It'll also be a day that's like a wedding, Isaiah declares. It'll be like a springtime of righteousness and praise that'll be in sight of all nations. And then, as we ponder this season, wonder of wonders, it all began when the Holy Spirit came upon a virgin who conceived the anointed Son, who now reigns as the King of glory, the one before whom, in due time, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, Jesus, the Messiah, is Lord. Now a reading from the psalm, Psalm 126. By the way, in the lectionary, there's an alternative reading, which would be Mary's praise, recorded in Luke 1, 46b-55. But we're going to read Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are joyful. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall harvest with joyful shouting. One who goes here and there weeping, carrying his bag of seeds, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. For the psalmist, the captives of Zion were the exiled people of Israel who as a people, had been unfaithful to Yahweh, their high king. However, Yahweh, ever faithful to his covenant, had brought them back and restored them to the promised land as a testimony to the nations. From the New Testament perspective, all of us humans, from all the nations, are the rebels against Yahweh, the king of the whole earth. But by the faithfulness of the Son, God offers us return to righteousness, peace, and joy of living as citizens of the true Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Whether we are Jews or Gentiles, in Christ we have every reason to be declaring with great joy to the nations of the world what great things Yahweh our God has done for us. Therefore, although we live and serve in the midst of darkness and despair and death, because our citizenship is in his heavenly kingdom, we are able to live with sure and certain hope. Consider Jesus, the sower, who generously spread the seed of God's kingdom at great cost to himself. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, be held on to desperately, but he became a human, a servant to all. Philippians 2, Matthew 28, 20, verse 28. Although he prayed with tears and loud cries to be saved from death, yet choosing to embrace the Father's will, he offered himself up for us. And he did that, Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And consider Paul, who faithfully spread the word of the kingdom across the nations of the northern Mediterranean at great cost to himself, rejoicing that he could share in the fellowship of Jesus' suffering. Paul regularly experienced death working in himself so that life could work in others. He endured beatings, imprisonment, stoning, hunger, thirst, and much, much more. Ultimately, even was killed in order that he could plant kingdom seed that is multiplied to many, even to us. 
And of course, not Paul only, but all the apostles and many, many of God's saints down through the years have embraced the suffering of the present with joy because of the hope that is ours in Christ. The question then for us is, are we faithfully sowing kingdom seed in the midst of whatever hardship we face? Let's remember, the promise for those who do is that there will be joy in the journey, but also far greater joy ahead. Let's remember Jesus' words, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So we not only take joy in the future, but we embrace the labor of the presence and of the present and we plead with God, Jesus says, that he would send forth more workers to sow and to reap. Next a reading from the epistles, first Thessalonians five, sixteen to twenty four. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything. Hold firmly to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will do it. These instructions, actually these commands, for daily living are part of a section, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-24, in which Paul's exhorting the Thessalonians and us about how to live so that we'll be ready when Jesus returns. The, this section directly follows Paul's teaching about the resurrection and the coming return of Jesus. Paul's point is that while the resurrection and the coming of Jesus are sure, the timing of his return will be unexpected. Therefore, the question is, how should we be living now? Paul began by addressing the way we serve the Lord's appointed leaders and with one another in this passage, 12 to 24. Then he begins to address our attitudes and our communion with God in every situation and circumstance. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So I need to pause and ask myself, how am I doing by that measurement? I can't say that I'm rejoicing always, that I'm praying without ceasing, but Lord, I want to help me to grow in being in that kind of communion with you all the time. And I know you will because it's your will for me and for each of us. Paul then addresses our response to the work of the Holy Spirit within the community of Jesus' disciples. Don't quench the Spirit. Do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything. Hold firmly to that which is good. Hmm. This exhortation deserves being thought through a bit. Many Christians and churches appear to give no room at all for the Holy Spirit given gift of prophecy to function. 
Others, however, appear to seek after those who profess to be prophets these days, and many people just seem to swallow everything that's said. There is a needed prophetic ministry in the church that's made clear in passages such as Romans 12, 6-8, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, and Ephesians 4, verse 11. Such ministry in the church is exemplified by Agabus and others in the book of Acts. However, Paul is clear in this word to the Thessalonians. Unlike the standard for prophets in the Old Covenant who were to be evaluated strictly by the accuracy of the words they delivered in God's name, in the New Covenant, prophecy is to be discerned and only that which is good should be retained. Take note that Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 29-32 is given direction discerning prophetic words. And Paul also stated plainly the primary purpose of this gift, to edify, that is to build up or to strengthen, to exhort or to encourage, and to console or to comfort the people of God. primary purpose of prophecy is not foretelling, but the building up of the body of Christ, getting us ready for what's coming. It's interesting that in Acts, Agabus and many others, Paul said every church I go to when he was on the way back to Jerusalem for the final time, were prophesying that he was going to be bound and all the saints were hearing the prophecies and saying, don't go, don't go, don't go. But Paul understood that that was his journey and he apparently took those words in the sense of 1 Corinthians as words to encourage him and prepare him for what he's going to face. He didn't despise prophecy, but he also didn't interpret it just the way the people were, but he responded courageously to where the Holy Spirit was taking him. Then here in the First Thessalonians, Paul completes the exhortation with this command, abstain from every form of evil. That should be enough said. However, unfortunately, it should be a grave concern for all of us that so many of us who profess to follow Jesus these days sin casually. We entertain ourselves, we entertain ourselves with evil. We condone behavior that's antithetical to the clear teaching of Scripture. How often it happens. I remember my dad as a kid talking about the dangers of television when it was new. And he said, there's no sin in having a television if you can control it. He said, I don't have one because I don't think I could control it. And then he would go on and say, I don't think you can either. I think of that when I think about this, how much junk we've allowed into our lives through television and our devices and the internet as well as all the ways that have always been there. How important it is that we pray with Paul for ourselves and for the whole church, that God would sanctify us entirely, that God would complete in us by the Holy Spirit the restoration work that he's begun until we're fully conformed to the image of Jesus the Son who's the exact representation of the Father. Meditate on those scriptures in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, Hebrews 1, 2 to 3. They're pointing at what the goal is for our lives, that if God sanctifies us entirely, 
through this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, that the restoration of our whole being, spirit, soul, and body, will be entirely complete, will be entirely ready, entirely what it ought to be. It will have come to maturity so that we are, will, can be without blame when Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord, returns. Although we are absolutely insufficient in ourselves to accomplish such a restoration, we can put our whole trust in God. For as Paul says, faithful is he who calls you and he also will do it. Now that's worth rejoicing about. Finally, a reading from the Gospels. John 1, 6 to 8, 19 to 23. A man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites to turn him from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, and this is what he said. I'm not the Christ. And so they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Tell us that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice calling out in the wilderness, make the way of the Lord straight, as Isaiah the prophet said. John, commissioned by God, called out his contemporaries to make the way, that is the road or the pathway straight, because God was about to show up to establish his king over Israel and the whole earth. Obviously, God's not dependent on straight and level roads in the literal sense. The meaning of this testimony becomes clear when we read in Matthew, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we see in the accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke the impact of John's message from God in the fact that multitudes were coming to him from Jerusalem and from the whole region. They were coming to repent and to be baptized by John. This word to prepare the way for the Lord by repenting, by changing the way we think and behave, is, if possible, even more pertinent for us who await King Jesus' unveiling for every eye to see, as Zechariah prophesied. And as we approach the final judgment of the whole world. Remember the good news that we've been commissioned to give. The angels started proclaiming that good news. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. This is the year of the Lord's favor. He's announced that peace is where his heart is. He has goodwill toward men. This is the day of salvation. John was the forerunner, so to announce Jesus' first coming to Israel. And he's saying, get ready, the kingdom of heaven has come near. We, the church, are the corporate forerunner. The church is the body of Christ, the one new man, Jew and Gentile, all together in Christ. He's the head, we're the body. We are the forerunner of Jesus who will return. And we have also been sent to proclaim in every nation 
the availability of God's salvation and also the final accounting that each person will face before God's throne. We are those sent to sow the good news, the message that Jesus, the good shepherd king, reigns and that he's opened the door of his kingdom to everyone who will believe and repent. Paul said we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are the ones to whom the word of God's reconciliation, as Paul put it, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. What a wonderful word that we've been given to deliver to people. God is reconciling. He's making peace to himself, not counting your sins against you. That message has been entrusted to us. Paul says in that passage, we are the ambassadors of Christ, holding out this word of reconciliation. Looking back to Psalm 126, we are the ones called to water the soil and water the seed with prayerful tears. And let us remember, Psalm 126 says we'll be bringing our sheaves in with great joy. Paul told us in Galatians 6, 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. weary. Lord, we thank you that you entrusted us with such good news. We thank you that you sent that word out to us through your representatives and that we've had the opportunity that it's been today for us that we could know your salvation, that we could have new birth, that we could be filled with your spirit, that we could enter into that sanctifying process that you're working out in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And Lord, I pray that you would help me and help each of us to embrace more fully the work of sowing and watering and reaping that you've commissioned us to fulfill. Thanks for listening. I hope your days get more and more joyful as you approach the time. Let's remember there are many among us, even in this joyous season, who are suffering, who are facing very difficult things. Let's pray for them and do what we can to reach out and help those in need. And again, uh, please, if you're willing, leave a rating or a comment on the podcast and let me know that uh, there's somebody out there hearing. Blessings to all.